You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we're chatting with Coot Blackson. Coot is a visionary in the field of personal development. He's a transformational teacher, speaker, guide, and national best-selling author of You Are the One and The Magic of Surrender. He's also the host of the podcast Soul Talk. We all want to be passionate about what we're doing and feel like we're contributing to a society in the best way we can. This means different things for each of us. Some people are meant to be artists, others bankers, builders, teachers, you name it. But we can feel pressured by friends, family, and society to behave a certain way, to have a particular career, or to live a specific lifestyle. So we make compromises and we give up on our dreams. Or in some cases, we don't even allow ourselves to imagine a life where we feel happy and fulfilled. But what if you could feel like you were doing what you were put on this earth to exactly do? What if you felt like you were your most authentic self? Coop believes this is possible, and he's dedicated his life to helping people around the world find inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their life's purpose. In this episode, Coop will share some wisdom about finding your purpose and becoming who you're meant to be. It can be really scary to make a life change or to take the time to search for your true purpose, but I promise it can pay off. If we want to be living fulfilling and purposeful lives, we've got to take risks sometimes and explore new opportunities. Tune into this episode to hear Coot explain the three questions necessary to make a change in your life and how to find your true calling and inner freedom. We'll learn why surrendering is the most powerful thing you can do, the differences between pain and suffering, and so much more. If you're wanting to change your life and find your true purpose, this episode is for you. Hey, Coot, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I'm so excited for this conversation. You are a transformational guide, speaker, and author, and you have such a unique story. And I can't wait to talk about your most recently released book, The Magic of Surrender and Finding the Courage to Let Go. But first, I wanted to start off by touching on your background story. I learned that you were born in Ghana. You were raised in London. You also grew up in a spiritual family, and your father was a minister. And your parents actually met in a really unique way. So I'd love to hear that story. I learned that your mother was Japanese, your father was from Ghana, and so they couldn't really easily speak to each other. So I think this was a really interesting story and definitely impacted how you grew up and how you, who you turned out to be in as an adult. So I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, basically, uh, it's an interesting story. Uh, my father 
Born in Ghana, West Africa, one of the poorest parts in Ghana on a concrete floor in the middle of nowhere, basically. And so when he was, we're talking in the late 30s, mid 40s, kind of beginning 1940-ish, he would have these visions of a Japanese guru, a Japanese spiritual teacher that would come to him in his dreams when he was around eight years old and teach him about life and the universe and the cosmos and the meaning of existence. And so imagine this African kid getting a download from this Japanese guru that he'd never met. And so when my father was 15 in Ghana, he had this sort of religious conversion, so to speak, gave his life to to God, wanted to be a priest, became a minister. At 15, my father started healing people. Imagine a 15-year-old kid, he starts putting his hands on people, blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, uh, people standing up out of wheelchairs. He'd look at a person, you know, in a wheelchair and say, stand up, you're not sick. And they would stand up. So this 15-year-old kid became a phenomenon. At 15 onwards, thousands of people flocked to him. He started a church that grew into 300 churches and he became huge. He was the spiritual teacher to presidents and kings in Ghana and all across Africa. And so when my father was 37 years old, he was in a store in Ghana, West Africa. A book falls off the shelf. He looks at the back of the book and he sees the face of this Japanese guru who'd been coming to him his entire life, starting from when he was eight years old. He didn't know that this Japanese guru was a real person. He writes to this man. He says, you've been coming to me, teaching me since I was eight years old. I didn't know you were real. I just saw your face on the back of the book. I can't even believe this. This man sends his son-in-law, basically his son, sends this, his son-in-law to meet my father in Ghana. They didn't have internet back then. So sends his son-in-law. Son-in-law is so impressed with my father and his work, invites my father to go to Japan, to meet the guru, to go on a huge lecture tour with the guru around Japan. This is in in the mid-70s. Now, my father, his first wife died. He had three kids. And he says to the the, the son-in-law, look, I'm looking for a wife. I'm ready for a wife. Just please pray for me, right? And the man says, no problem. The son-in-law goes back to Japan. He gives a talk. He announces to everyone, this African man, the miracle man of Africa, is coming to Japan to go on a lecture tour with our teacher. So here are the dates. My mother was in the audience. My mother, this was her spiritual teacher, the Japanese guru. She grew up in this organization, meditating and what have you. My mother's 28, 29 years old in Japan at that moment. If you're not married by 22, 23, you're old. Your life is over. It's finished. It's finished, right? And so she's 28, 29, almost 30. Her life is over. She's been proposed to. She's turned them down. She made a prayer. She said, God, I will marry She said, basically, I surrender. I will marry anyone you tell me to marry. I don't care who he is, black, white, green, orange, tall, short, fat, skinny, rich, poor, a street sweeper. But just make it clear that this person is my soulmate and my life partner. Give me an undeniable knowing. She's in the audience. She hears about my father coming to Japan. She feels chills in her body, gets the sense this is my husband. My mother doesn't speak English. My father doesn't speak Japanese. She writes through a translator to her sister. She writes to my father. My father's in London on his way to Africa, on his way to Japan. He's meditating. In his meditation, he gets a guidance that says, your wife's coming to you tomorrow. He goes to the mailbox. There's a letter from my mother. He opens the, the letter. He says, this is my wife. In the letter, nothing romantic. It just says, Look forward to hearing you speak in in Japan. Can't wait to hear your lecture. He says, this is my wife. No internet, no Facebook, no Instagram stalking, no pictures, no nothing, no phone call. He writes to her and he says, would you be open to moving to Ghana? My my mother writes back through her sister translating and says, if it's God's will, 
He writes back and says, yes, it's God's will. They agree to get married, sight unseen. My father goes to Japan, goes on a lecture tour with the guru, meets my mother for the first time with translators, with chaperones. They have 45 minutes by themselves. They look at each other. They can't speak. They agree to get married. Now, they have a wedding date. My father's on this lecture tour. They have a wedding date. They Imagine, black guy, Japanese woman, mid-70s, can't say hello, can't have a conversation. They've agreed to get married just because they feel this deep soul connection. My father has no money by Japanese standards. You know, he's not doing this. Uh, he's, he's not speaking as a career. He's going as a, a form of service. So he doesn't have money to throw a Japanese wedding. He meditates, he prays, and God says, just chill. So he's like, okay, I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to, I'm going to just trust the universe. He goes on a six-week lecture tour with the guru. He doesn't get paid. He hasn't told anyone. He goes to his mailbox at the end of the six weeks. There is an envelope for $7,000, which was, you know, a decent amount of money back in the 70s. $7,000 in USD cash. All it says in this envelope is this is for your wedding. That was it. Anonymous, no name. They get married. They go to Japan. They can't talk on their honeymoon. They have me a year later. And that was how they met. Crazy story of, of real surrender and really trusting the universe. Wow. I love that story. I have chills from that story. And I can't wait to kind of unpack that later on as we get into the details of the book. But that's phenomenal. And the fact that they were just so certain that they were meant for each other. What was it like growing up with an interracial mom and dad? I mean, that was a very unique experience, especially back then. What was that like for you? It was unique, but it wasn't unique to me because it just felt normal. And, and, and I think that was beautiful. Like, I've always, like, I was born in Ghana. My father's Ghanaian, as black as you can get. My mother's as Japanese as you can get. I grew up in London. And so I never felt like I was from anywhere. I never felt like I was, people would say, do you feel Ghanaian? I'm like, yes, but no. Do you feel Japanese? Yes, but no. Do you feel British? Yes, but no. And, and so I always felt that I was a soul. And I felt, I always grew up with the sense that the soul doesn't have a color. The soul doesn't have a race. The soul doesn't have some sort of national identity. And so, you know, I grew up with, a, with a, you know, honestly, with my mother who was so Japanese, but I literally, for the first years of my life, saw no color. And so it was a really profound experience for me of pure love, honestly, pure love. And there were so many differences between my, my father's culture and the Japanese culture, kind, kind of polar opposites. And yet, I think, and, it, and there were, look, there were a lot of challenges between my mother and my father and different cultures, and my father's a hell of a character. And, and, and yet, I felt very, very blessed to have the rich experience of Japan and Africa. And, and I always felt like I was from everywhere and nowhere. The gift that came out of that experience growing up was the ability to go anywhere in the world and rather than focusing on differences and focusing on color and race and all of that stuff, it, it gave me the ability to just connect with people as human beings because what I really learned was no matter how different we seem to be at the bottom line level, we are all the same. We are souls. We are consciousness evolving, you know, in this human space suit. And at the end of the day, we are infinite. That's so beautiful. So I was looking more into your story and you having such a successful father who seemed to have garnered a lot of respect and fame in your region. 
he wanted you to follow in his footsteps and it was kind of expected, right, for you to follow in his footsteps. So what was that like actually deciding not to because you ended up moving to America quite young? Uh, What was that conversation like? What was that decision making like for you? Yeah, look, my father had hundreds of thousands of followers just to like set the context. We're talking about three, four hundred thousand followers in Africa. He had a very huge church in London. So every Sunday we go to church. And there were like four or 5,000 people in, in the congregation every Sunday. And so it was kind of a massive operation. And so I started speaking. Well, I didn't choose, but my father threw me in front of the audience when I was age eight. And he said, my son's going to speak. And that began my speaking career at age eight, speaking in front of three, 4,000 people. And so when I was 14, my father suddenly announced to the congregation, just suddenly, without discussing with me or having a conversation. My son is taking over my ministry. My son is my successor. And everyone goes crazy. So here I imagine, here I am, a 14-year-old kid in complete shock because I loved my father. I wanted to make him happy. He's iconic. I just wanted his approval. And I always wanted, I felt this deep desire to make a difference in people's lives. I felt like my life was here to be of service to humanity and touch people in some way. And so I wanted to make a difference. So when my father announced to the congregation at 14, my son's taking over, I felt such an internal conflict because the moment he announced it, I was on stage, everyone looks at me, everyone's clapping, everyone's going crazy, but inside of my soul, I knew that something wasn't right. You know, that feeling that you get when something is something is not true, maybe being in a, in a relationship where you're like, oh shit, this is not the right relationship, or you're in a job where, where you realize this is not aligned with my soul, I'm out of integrity. And so I, I knew in that moment, this was not my path, this was not my destiny, but I went along with it from, from 14 to 18 because honestly, I, I, I was too afraid that if I dared to be myself, if I dared to speak my truth, if I dared to, to tell my father how I really felt, I would lose his love, I'd be outcast, I'd be alone, I, would, I wouldn't be a part of the tribe anymore. And so I said nothing. My fear was if I dared to be who I was, I would lose love. And I think so many of us, we hold back who we are. We betray our truth. We don't tell the truth to ourselves. We stay in situations that aren't authentic because we're afraid of being who we really are and not being loved, you know? And so for four years, I went through a tremendous amount of soul searching, a tremendous amount of conflict, depression, sadness, turmoil, internal turmoil that I never told to anyone. But when I was 18, I looked into my future. And that's when the moment really shifted for me. My life shifted. I looked into my future and I realized that I could never be truly happy and fulfilled living someone else's life. I could never be truly happy and fulfilled being someone that I'm not. And I tried to be what my father wanted me to be, but there was something inside, if I was really honest, that was missing, that wasn't connected, that wasn't aligned. I looked into my future and I projected age 20, age 30, age 40, age 50, age 60, I realized I could be successful by everyone else's standards, but if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my truth, then what kind of success is that if I don't have myself? How do I really be with myself? To me, that is that is living dead. And so I grieved, I cried, I realized that I had to let go of my father, which was, you know, at that stage, for any of us is hard, as an 18-year-old kid was terrifying. And I made that decision that I was going to have to lose my father and have the conversation. And so at 18, I told my mother, you know, mothers, they're always, for the most part, pretty supportive. And she said, I support. My mother said, I support you. Whatever you feel is true. I'm always here. I have your back. And so I mustered the courage one day to speak to my father. And this was the moment that my life changed. And I think there comes a moment in our lives 
where we have to own our lives for ourselves and we have to reclaim our lives. Sometimes that means letting your parents down in some way. But I realized that this was my life and this wasn't anyone else's life. And at some moment, my father would die, my parents would die, everyone around me would die, and I had to look myself in the mirror. And so I tiptoed up the stairs, terrified and shaking, by the way. And sometimes people think you have to get rid of fear in order to take action. I was terrified. And it took every ounce of courage for me to have this conversation. Because I felt, too, that I wasn't just claiming my life. I felt like I was breaking my father's heart, which was just, just as, you know, it was just as hard, you know. And I looked my father in the eyes and I said, Dad, you know, I was trembling. Dad, I'm not taking over your ministry and, and I love you, but I'm not taking over. I thought he was going to go crazy. Silence. And he said, are you sure? And I trembled again. I said, yeah, yeah Dad, I, I'm not taking over. He said, okay, we didn't speak for two years that was incredibly painful. Sometimes people say that when you find your purpose and you find your mission, that yeah, the universe opens, everything is easy, everything is smooth. I think sometimes when you find your purpose and you align with your truth and you move in that direction and you follow your soul, that's actually when the challenges begin. That's when the soul test begins. And many times people think that Oh, because I'm facing all of these challenges in my life, but I'm, I'm still following my purpose, but I'm facing these challenges, something's wrong. I made the wrong decision. I think many times it's a sign that you made the right decision. It's just that when you follow your purpose, many times you need to go through some of these challenges because these challenges are the necessary force. The nece- they help you build the necessary soul force, muscle, resilience, so that you can become the person that is capable of fulfilling the mission. So I had the conversation with my father. We didn't speak for two years felt so alone, so abandoned by the universe. I felt this dream, I felt this desire to come to America, to go into personal development, and yet here I was stuck, no money, no college education, no support from my family. And I said a prayer one day, and I said, universe, if everything I've read is real, all of these spiritual books on manifestation, if, if this stuff really works, I need your help right now. The next day, I was in the library at school, and I'm there sitting going, universe, I need some help. Someone gives me a magazine called The Economist. I never read The Economist. I felt chills in my body. I look in the back of the magazine, it says the American government's giving away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. That's when I felt something, you know, that feeling we sometimes feel when we feel like there's something strange happening. And so I apply through the law firm and a longer story shorter, I ended up winning a green card in the green card lottery. And that's what really made me feel the sense that so long as I follow my truth, so long as I follow my soul, so long as I really don't compromise what is, what is authentic inside of my being, not for fame, for friendship, for money, for anything. If I'm true to that, if I'm aligned with that, then the universe supports me. And I've seen that throughout my life. And I won a green card at the age of 18, 19, came to the US, two suitcases, knew no one in the country. And that began, began my journey. It was hard. Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn, because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. 
These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. This is such a really special, powerful story. I have like just chills listening to you tell this story. So thank you so much for sharing. First of all, there's a couple big lessons here. People that love you may not actually know the best path for you. Only you know the best path for yourself. And sometimes it's just getting started, which is what brings on the challenges. Like you said, it was, it's not like you like announced it to your dad and then everything was just easy. You announced it to your dad. And then that's when the obstacle started because you were going on your true path and sometimes, you know, that takes a lot of hard work and doesn't just like fall naturally. So I think that's really interesting. So talk to us about, you know, you said you were in America. How did you know that personal development was where you wanted to focus? I know you did a lot of reading as a child. So how did you know that was like kind of where you wanted to get started? Yeah, it really started from a very young age because I'd go into my father's bookshelf and he had all of these books. And my father, even though he had these churches, was very mystical. He was very spiritual, less religious, more spiritual. And so I would see literally 3,000 books on his bookshelf of people like Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, uh, Shakti Gawain, some old school mystics, people like Joseph Murphy and what have you. And so I started reading a lot of these, Krishnamurti, you know, I started reading a lot of these spiritual books as a 
kid. So my first book as an eight-year-old was Shakti Gawain, Creative Visualization. That, as an eight-year-old, blew my mind, the possibility that through imagination and thinking and thoughts and visualization, we have the power to affect our reality. And as an eight-year-old, <laughs> I was in heaven. And so that began a process from eight to, I think, 18 of reading seven to 800 books on my father's bookshelf and just trying to understand life and the nature of existence and the nature of consciousness and why we're here. And so when I was 14, and this is also what affected my decision to leave the church. When I was 14, I started reading people like Tony Robbins and Dan Millman and Louise Hay and Jack Canfield. And I'm like, wait a second, these people are impacting lives in hotel rooms, giving seminars, not through religion and not through the church. Like my mind was blown, like maybe there's another way. And so I started having visions as a young boy of coming to America. And all of the authors I'd read lived in Southern California. They lived in San Diego, Orange County, Los Angeles, or maybe San Francisco. And I'm like, this is where I want to, I want to go into this field. I want to write books. I want to impact people. I want to speak. I want to inspire people and not in a religious way. And this is what I want to do. And so what I also started, so I started visualizing and envisioning myself every, every day in the U.S. What I also started doing that people don't know is I didn't have a lot of money growing up, growing up in the church. And so my, my bedroom was literally a tiny room with a small bed that I literally couldn't walk inside. And so my visions were so big of impacting people and inspiring people, but my reality was so small. And so I would sneak into my, because we lived in an apartment that was attached to my father's church. And so I would sneak into my father's church around, imagine 8 p.m. at night, every night. And I sneak into my father's church with the lights off and I would speak and give seminars, personal development seminars based on the information I'd read. I'd give seminars as a, you know, 11 year old kid to the empty chairs, visualizing and imagining thousands of people in the room being inspired, crying and laughing. And so from probably 11 to 18, people don't know this, but I probably gave two, 3,000 seminars before I even started speaking officially. And, and that, that started and that's how I knew. And uh, yeah, when I showed up in LA, two suitcases, a kid, I got dropped off in Venice Beach, cried my eyes out for about two weeks being by myself. You know, the reality isn't always as romantic as the fantasy. Found a small apartment that was maybe, I don't know, 250, 300 square feet. Uh, pulled a mattress, pulled a mattress out of the trash that someone threw out to sleep on, okay? Uh, because I had no money and I knew I couldn't go back, but I was, you know what? There, there's a freedom that comes from living your truth. There's a power and a freedom that comes from knowing that you are on the right path and not compromising your soul for anything or anyone. And even though I had nothing, there was such an internal feeling of knowing I had myself. I wasn't betraying myself. And that that fueled me forward. You know, that gave me a lot of strength to move forward. One thing I would just invite people to sit with that I think might help people in the consideration also is I think one of the things that stops us from really breaking through, one of the things that stops us from really changing our lives and, and creating what we want are all the lies that we tell ourselves. 
I think in so many ways, as human beings, we are constantly lying to ourselves about who we are, about what we feel, about what we want in order to preserve our identity, keep ourselves comfortable, be loved, be liked, and we end up betraying ourselves. And so I think if someone's wondering, well, how do I start? How do I begin? What what do I do? What's the first step I can take? I would tell everyone, really just sit with yourself and ask yourself these three questions. Number one, what lies am I telling myself? What lies am I telling myself? In so many ways, we lie about the relationship we're in. Maybe you're in a relationship and you know it's not right, but you stay because what will people think? Or you stay because you don't want to hurt someone. I didn't want to hurt my father. Maybe you're working a job that you know is not the reason, is not the purpose for why you're born, but you stay out of comfort, out of security, out of safety, and yet it's burning you up inside and you feel that there are so many more gifts that you long to give and it hurts to not give it. It's painful to not give those gifts. And so what lies am I telling myself? I think we have to start with the willingness to tell ourselves the truth. The second question for people to sit with is, what am I pretending to not know? In so many ways, I've seen that we play this game of confusion. Like, I don't really know what my purpose is. I'm confused. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know if this relationship is right for me. I'm not sure. But deep down, we really, we, we know. We know deep down, but sometimes there's a fear of really acknowledging the clarity of our knowing, because with knowing and truth comes responsibility of having to do something about it, you know? And so here's what I invite people to really sit with is, tell the truth, but take the pressure off of having to even take action. Sometimes the pressure of having to take action freaks us out, so we play this game of confusion, because if I'm confused, then I don't have to end this relationship. If I'm confused, then I don't have to to take action on my purpose, because I don't know what, what my purpose is. So it's better to stay in confusion than take action and fail and risk the, the failure. But if I'm confused, then I can always have the hope of the future fantasy. So what am I pretending to not know? But also, lastly, I would invite people to sit with, what is it costing me? What are the lies costing me? And to be willing to feel the pain of the lies. In so many ways, one of the ways we perpetuate our living less than our truth, living less than our full potential, is we feel pain. Like, what? Well, this is pain. I'm feeling pain. But we, dis- we, we distract ourselves from it. We busy ourselves. We drink it away. We sex it away. We social media it away. We shop it away. Whatever it is so we don't have to feel the pain. But what I want people to know is that if you're feeling pain in your life, the pain is a signal. The pain is a gift. The pain is a messenger. The pain is simply trying to communicate something to you to get your attention, to show you where you're not fully aligned. And if you can just use the pain, not as something bad or to run away from, but use the pain to as feedback to recalibrate yourself, to bring yourself more in touch with your truth and your heart, then you can start making changes. Mm, this is really, really powerful. I get a lot of questions from listeners who always ask me, Hala, how can I find my true calling? How do I know my purpose? How do I know what business to start or what I should do with my life? So what about people who don't know what their true calling is, to your point, and really feel like they don't have any guidance? What's your advice to them? I'm going to go a couple of ways. I'm going to kind of start a bit, little big picture more spiritually because that's kind of my perspective. Then I'm going to break it down into some real practical steps. First thing I would say, and this is strange coming from someone that helps people find their purpose, right? This is what I do. I'm going to just tell people, stop trying to find your purpose. Stop trying to find your purpose. First on a spiritual level, and we're going to, then we'll break it down. The reason I say stop trying to find your purpose is I want you to realize that you are a soul. 
having the human experience. So essentially, every moment of your life, every second of your life, every breath of your life, every relationship, every single experience that you go through is your purpose. If you're a soul, you incarnate into this human experience to learn, grow, and evolve. I like to say that life is a university for your soul. And every experience, every relationship, every situation is part of your soul's learning and curriculum. And so if the purpose of life is your evolution and learning the lessons, then every moment, so long as you're learning the lessons and you're growing and evolving through every situation, every moment is your purpose. So there's no moment that's not your purpose. So understand that spiritually. If you're growing and you're learning and evolving and asking yourself, why did I attract this situation? Why did I attract this person? What is my soul seeking to learn in this job, in this, even if it's not your dream job and how, what you'd like to be doing for the rest of your life? What is my soul seeking to learn from my boss? What is my soul seeking to learn in, with my teammates? What is my soul seeking to learn and learn those lessons? You're living your purpose no matter what you're doing. So your purpose isn't necessarily what you're doing. So just get that as a whole first. Now to get a bit more spiritual, a bit more personal, stop seeking your purpose again. The reason I say that again a second time is sometimes the ego wants to seek, 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 and not find. The job of the ego is to keep seeking because seeking is part of what perpetuates the ego's sense of identity. It doesn't want to find. And so the whole game of seeking one's purpose can often be never-ending. So here's what I would tell people. Simply start where you are, exactly as you are, because we're always kind of postponing things into the future when I'm more healed, when I have enough money, when I have another certificate, when I'm, it's like, no, stop. simply start where you are and take a step, go in the direction of what lights you up, go in the direction of what turns you on, go in the direction of what brings you joy, go in the direction of what lights your soul, what, like move in that direction. That direction may not be your end destination, but if you Simply try to figure out your purpose from the sidelines and your current evolution. You may never find your purpose because what I found is when you go in the direction and you take a step, you lean in and you take a step. You don't have to know where you're going, but if you lean in and you take a step, that's one thing we have to, I think, let go of is the idea of we've got to figure it out up front because purpose is also evolutionary, that as you evolve and grow, your purpose will shift and change. So if you try to figure out your purpose from standing on the sidelines and figure it out from here, you will often never figure it out. But if you take a step and you move forward, then what happens is life reveals to you often what's next in the process of living life itself. You take a step, life shows you what's next. You take a step, life shows you what, what's next. But in the process of each step, you learn more, you become more, you evolve more, you expand more, you develop the mental, the emotional, the spiritual muscle, the skill set that prepares you more for what's next. And so if you don't take those steps, you don't develop the skill sets, you don't develop the maturity, you don't develop the consciousness to be able to handle more. But take the step, life shows you, take the step, life shows you. And what I found is then you will often end up all of a sudden, five years, 10 years, eight years, six years, three years from now, living into your purpose going, wow, I'm actually living my purpose. It was, maybe it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to be an actor. I thought I was going to be a corporate this. I thought I was, but here is what I'm doing. And everything I did along the way that wasn't necessarily my dream job or expression, there were necessary learnings that I needed to get along the way so that, that, that I could be a rounded being to be able to fulfill what I'm doing now. So number one, 
ask yourself, what do I love? What lights me up? What lights me up? What inspires me? What do I love to do? What would I do for free? And start moving in that direction. But that alone is not enough because, look, I love Formula One, but I'm never going to be Lewis Hamilton in this lifetime. That's just kind of reality. The dude has been doing it since he was two years old, you know? And so love is great. Move in that direction. But don't get attached to what it's going to look like. Don't get attached to, I have to be a race car driver because there's many things in that field of what you might love. What do I love? Number two, what skill sets do I have? What tangible skill sets do I have based on my life experience? This is why I say everything you've been through, even jobs you've been through that you didn't understand, there's probably something there that you needed to learn that can help you in your ultimate expression. So if you don't do that, if you don't go there because you're like, oh, that's not my purpose, then you don't learn what you need to learn and you won't be ready for what you're really here to do. So look at the tangible skills because you need tangible skills. Number three, ask yourself, what unique gifts am I capable of solving? I think we all have unique abilities. And I think the ability, as you know, and I'm sure you teach, the ability to make money is not just about how do I make money? It's about adding value. We add value when we solve someone's pain, problem, or challenge. Money is simply the energetic exchange for solving someone's pain, problem, or challenge. And so I think when we really look at, okay, what pain, problem, or challenge am I able to solve? What pain, problem, or challenge lights me up to solve? What pain, problem, or challenge am I uniquely able to solve and go out and solve those pain, problems, or challenges by being of service? really specifically adding tangible, specific value. So look at that as a third question. And lastly, I'd invite people to look at and consider what group of people, if you look in the world, what group of people do I feel a connection to? Do I feel an affinity to? If you're like, well, I don't know who to serve. Maybe you feel drawn to people that are blind. Maybe you feel drawn to single mothers. Maybe you feel drawn to the homeless or the elderly or you know, a certain group or ethnicity or animals or whales. Just begin serving that group of people. You know, begin making a difference in their life. Just gravitate in that direction because that, that resonance, that pull, that connection to that group of people, that affinity is also maybe pointing you in the direction of who you're here to serve. And so I just invite people, don't wait for a special moment or a special day. Begin where you are right now, exactly as you are, and just start by responding to the need in the moment. A lot of people, they want to impact the world. They want to impact millions of people. They want to do this huge thing. But right in front of them, someone is in need of help. And we don't give that help because we think it's not important to us. You know, We think it's not making much of a difference. We think it's not big enough. But if we don't start there, if we don't start with one, then how do we help two? We don't start with two. How do we help four? We don't start with four. How do we help 10? And I believe when you start with one, you're able to help two, you're able to help four, you're able, and, and it just expands and goes from there. That was the best answer to how do you find your purpose that we've ever had on this podcast by far. So great job with that. Let's talk about the genesis of your book. So your mother passed away in 2017, and you say that she surrendered in the most giving way. So how did her passing help influence you write this new book? Yeah, you know, the book was, was, was not on my radar to write. This was not the book that I planned to write, even once she passed away. You know, in 2016, I was traveling the world on a high because my first book, You Are the One, was a, was a bestseller, and I was traveling, I was on Mary King. And then I get a phone call. Life has a way of humbling me, you know? And I get a phone call from my father, says, your mother has cancer, you need to come and see her. And so I was living in Los Angeles, and I started to fly back and forth from LA to London 
every month, literally every four weeks, to be with my mother for a week during her chemo sessions. And I'd fly back and forth, and I'd just sit with her, and I'd be with her. And it was interesting because I went back with the intention that I was going to heal my mother. I was going to get her better. I was going to save her life. I was going to feed, force feed her, you know, green juice and vegetables and alternative therapies. And after a few weeks of being with her and sitting with the doctors, I honestly began to realize that she's going to die. I really started to realize that. And it, and it, and it hit me. I, I realized there's nothing I do, no amount of meditation and prayer that's going to keep her alive. And I began a process of letting go. I began a process of grieving. I began a process of letting go of control, at least the control I thought I had, which I really didn't have. And, 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 and that began when I stopped resisting the fact that my mother was going to die. It began to free me up to be with her fully. It began to free me up to savor every single moment that I had with her because, because I wasn't resisting, I realized Every moment I had with my mother could actually be the last time I ever see her. Every text was, was maybe the last text. Every conversation was maybe the last conversation. I mean, it was real. I, I, I really just surrendered and I said, this could be it. And so that really got me in touch with the preciousness of each moment. And in a strange way, it was a gift because I got to spend eight hours with my mother in chemo sessions, so fully present. I realized I hadn't spent eight hours straight with my mother since I was a kid because I was too busy running around trying to help the world make a difference, but I didn't make time for my own mother. And it was very humbling. And I was saddened and I, had, I was filled with a lot of regrets because I asked myself, why did I wait until she was dying to just sit, sit with her and just be with her? Because we think we got time. We think tomorrow we think and, and i realized that we don't we really don't know when that moment's going to come and so i got to be with her and that year that turned out to be the worst year of my life in the beginning because i just got to sit with her and sip a cup of tea and talk about nothing and take a walk in the park and shoot the breeze and watch her you know washing the dishes and and just holding her hand became the best year of my life and, and I remember there was a day when I looked at my mother and I said, Mom, this is going to sound strange, but I think I've learned something. And I said to her, I'll never forget that moment. I said to my mother, like, I really thank cancer for bringing us to this level of closeness. I wish it didn't have to be this moment, but I really thank and And, and that was a moment of surrender for me. And Weeks later, the doctors told her, because she was supposed to have an operation, chemo, she was doing chemo. The doctors told her that there's nothing else we can do. And in a nice way, they say, you're basically, you're going to die, so get your affairs in order. And, you know, nothing prepares you for that moment when the person you love the most is no longer. I mean, my mother loved me, and in this human lifetime, I know what love is because of her. Like, I have been loved as a human being. And I looked at my mother and I said to her, this was maybe the genesis of the book, you know, this whole experience was, I think, prepping me. But I said to her, are you afraid? Are you afraid of dying? This is like right after the doctor said, you're going, going to die. I mean, this is, you know, a lot of times we, we read books and we're like, yes, I'm infinite. And, but when you're faced with death in reality, that's something else. And she said, 
She looks me in the eyes, this Japanese little woman, and she says, no, I'm not afraid because I know I'm not this body. I know that this body is just honestly a temporary vehicle for my soul, and I'll be with you, guiding you from the other side, so don't worry. And, and, and you know, no cameras around, no, no Instagram, just me and her, complete trust in life. Then I said, mom, is there anything I can do for you? What can I do for you to make your final, like I want to be a good son. What can I do to make your final days comfortable? Do you want to go somewhere? Can I buy you something? What, like, what do you need? And she said, there's nothing I want and there's nothing I need. I said, well, what can I, what, what do you need? What, what do you want? And she said, it wasn't so much a religious statement, but, but I really got what she said. She said, the only thing I want is what God wants for my life. And in that moment, I was so humbled because I realized that she was in complete surrender. She wasn't attached to being alive. She wasn't attached to dying. She was just open to her soul's journey, whatever that was. And that's why during this year, I saw that she was so free. She didn't feel like a victim. She didn't cry and she was a very emotional woman. She didn't feel resistant. She was really at peace and happy. And I saw that surrender was the key to her freedom. And so, that year left me so many gifts in her example of how she lived life through surrender, even in the most difficult moments because she wasn't resisting life. And then when I started to think about the book I was going to write, I thought I was going to write some other fancy, sexy, you know, book that would be a great New York Times bestseller that everybody would want. And I remember having like a hundred ideas on a poster board of books I thought would sell. Not, and I was trying to force a book to be something that I thought it should be because I thought this would be a bestseller. None of those felt true. None of those felt right. And all of a sudden, the one word of the hundreds that I wrote on this whiteboard was surrender. I'm like, I don't want to write a book about surrender. I mean, it's like, who, it's like going to the dentist. You know, who, who wants to, nobody wants to let go, but we know we should, but we don't want to. And, it, and I felt this undeniable knowing that there's, there might be what I want to write, but there's the book that's seeking to be written. And the book that's seeking to be written is the book about surrender. And so I had to surrender to the book about surrender that was seeking to be written. And that's when everything flowed, the ideas flowed, the agent flowed, the published, everything started flowing. And I felt like my entire life had really, when I looked at my life with my dad and my mom and my childhood, my whole life had prepared me to write this book about surrender in a certain way. And everything just went boom and the download happened, and I started reflecting on the great ones that I respected. Because sometimes we think that surrender is weak, that if you surrender, it's weak, it's passive, it's, you're gonna be a victim, a doormat, left behind, you won't manifest your goals, dreams, and desires in a world where you just have to kind of like make shit happen and crush it and push it. And, I, and, and when I really reflected on the great ones, I realized surrender is not weak. Like what, what if through surrendering, you didn't get less, you got more, more than you could imagine that surrender was perhaps the most powerful thing you can do. And when I looked at Jesus and Buddha and Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali and Mandela and Martin Luther King, I'm like, damn, they all surrendered. They all surrendered themselves to a vision that was bigger than themselves. They all surrendered themselves to life. They all surrendered themselves to their soul and that's when they transcended their own human ego limitations and life began to move through them and use them. And look what happened. They moved the freaking world. Even the fact that they're dead, they've still impacted the world. And that's when I realized that surrender is the key 
to greatness. Surrender is the password to freedom. And so that's, for me, part of the invitation that I want to give people is a, is a new way of living. Because I think for, for in the old paradigm, we've been conditioned to ask ourselves that the ego-based paradigm is all about making life happen and what, what, do, what do I want, right? What do I want? The thing is, yeah, sometimes you might, you can make life happen on your own terms, which is okay, it's great, it's respectable, but many times you get what you thought you wanted only to be dissatisfied, like, is this it? Or you get what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were, only to realize that what you thought you wanted was not what you really wanted, it was just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were, and many times your goals and the goals that we set can be a projection of unmet needs from childhood. Like if I can just get this car and this body and this thing and this career, then I'm going to be enough because I wasn't when I was five years old. And so I, th I think for me, the question when it comes to surrender is a new paradigm that I'd love people to consider. Surrender is powerful. Surrender is possibility. Surrender is the next level. Surrender is greatness. Surrender not as a passive thing, but as, as an active process. Surrender in the question is really about not asking yourself the question, what do I want? But asking yourself a different question. What is it that life is seeking to express through me? What is the deepest impulse of what life, this intelligence that is already living and breathing me, we're all being lived and breathed by some intelligence that's bigger than ourselves. It is part of what we are. What is it that life is seeking to express through me? And to have the willingness to align ourselves with that, deeper impulse with that deeper truth because i think when we do that's when magic happens and so just to be clear surrender letting go of control surrender not trying to force life to feed into your limited idea surrender is living with an open heart we'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors young and profiters yap media is growing so fast i have 10 open roles just this month in the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Yap Fam. Starting my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass was one of the best things I've ever done for my business. I didn't have to waste time figuring out all the nuts and bolts of setting up a website that had everything I needed, like a way to buy my course, subscription offerings, chat functionality, and so on, because it was super easy with Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, whether you're selling your first product, finally taking your side hustle full time, or making half a million dollars from your masterclass like me. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered as you scale. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to other options out there. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., from huge shoe brands like Allbirds to vegan cosmetic brands like Thrive Cosmetics. Actually, back on episode 253, I interviewed the CEO and founder of Thrive Cosmetics, Carissa Bodnar, and she told me about how she set up her store with Shopify and it was so plug and play, her store exploded right away. Even for a makeup artist type girl with no coding skills, it was easy for her to open up a shop and start her dream job as an entrepreneur. That was nearly a decade ago, and now it's even easier to sell more with less thanks to AI tools like Shopify Magic. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. So you can focus on the important stuff, the stuff you like to do, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com profiting, and that's all lowercase. If you want to start that side hustle you've always dreamed of, if you want to start that business you can't stop thinking about, if you have a great idea, what are you waiting for? Start your store on Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Shopify.com slash profiting for $1 per month trial period. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. So I have a couple questions about surrender to make sure my audience can totally understand what this is. So when we think of surrender, we often think of letting go. And sometimes that can be weak. That can be seem passive. It can feel like we're just letting life happen instead of making it happen, like you said, which is part of our heroic individualism as Americans to want to just make things happen, right? So Tell us why surrendering is actually not weak and why it's actually the most powerful thing that we can do. First, I just want to say that surrender is a natural process for us as human beings. Just, I just want to say surrender is the process of life. Every br- Surrender is actually hardwired into our physiology. You, we breathe in and we have to breathe out. No one just breathes in. So, so surrender with every breath is a surrender. To me, this is life reminding us of the process of surrendering, you know. And so, look, I think surrender takes a lot of courage because it requires the willingness to let go of what's not aligned. It requires the willingness to let go of what's not authentic. It requires the willingness to let go of what's not true. And that is not weak. It requires the willingness to let go 
of the lies we're telling ourselves. And so I think the next level of our lives as human beings, there comes a moment in our life that we all reach where the life that we're living is too small for what we're seeking to become. Most of us in that moment, what we tend to do is we, we, we hold on to what we know out of fear, out of comfort, out of safety, out of familiarity. Because why? Because, because it works. Why do you keep doing that? Because it's working. Why are you staying in the relationship? Because it works, but I'm not happy. Why do you keep doing that business? Because it works, but I'm not feeling alive. And so sometimes we even get caught up in the trap of success. We keep doing something because we've done it and everyone knows us to be that. We get reinforced for it and it's safe, but we're freaking miserable and we're no longer growing. We're not evolving. We're not alive anymore. We're not even living our purpose anymore. We're just phoning it in. We're just existing. And so I think the courage it takes to say, you know what? This is not aligned. This is not true. This is not who I am today. And the courage it takes to say, you know what? I'm going to let go. So the next level of your life requires the next level of you. And the next level of you requires that you let go of what's not aligned. And I think when you let go of what's not aligned instead of holding on, that's when you begin to make the space for the new. That's when you begin to make the space for new relationships, new possibilities, new opportunities, and new blessings. You know? And so I think if we want magic, we have to be willing, truly willing to surrender. But part of surrender requires, I'll say it, grieving. Because surrender is a death. It's a death of the old. And so it takes courage. And I think one thing that people often miss in the letting go, in the surrender, is the willingness to grieve is the willingness to grow. And that is a necessary key in the process of surrender. And I just think of anything that you would surrender to, like a relationship that's not working, like that's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. A job that you make a lot of money with that everybody knows you for, letting that go is not going to be easy. So something that you alluded to that I really want to dig deeper on is this concept of surrender allowing us to imagine bigger and dream bigger. How is that so? Yeah, okay. So so I think, look, many times when we set a goal, we're like, okay, I, I want to make this happen, right? This is what I want. The challenge is many times we're setting goals from the level of the mind, from the level of identity, from the level of ego, from the level of personality. The challenge is this sense of who we are or who we think we are is based on the conditioning from the past, the conditioning from childhood, the conditioning from parents, the conditioning from grandparents, the conditioning from what you were told or what I was told from our ancestors, from media, from Sesame Street, from television, from friends, from family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so when we set goals from the limitate from the mind, it can often be limiting. This is what we want. This is what it's got to be. This is the person that I need to marry. How many times, and this is just for folks listening, how many times have you thought, you've looked in a relationship, you're like, I really, this is the one. I really want this person. Like, I'm going to marry this person. We're going to make it happen. And we, we kind of force something to be that really quite isn't. And you couldn't imagine not being with that person. But maybe five years later, you broke up. You were sad. But five years later, you look back and you're like, Thank God that didn't work out. So many times in a particular moment, from our lens of our own ego's identity, we're not able to see the whole picture. 
the ego is only able to see a small piece of the infinite tapestry and the possibilities and the potentiality of the unfolding of life. And so when you surrender, rather than getting attached, rather than trying to force, there is an openness, there is an availability, there is a willingness to be open to all of life rather than focusing and fixating on one small point, like it's got to be this, we're open to all of life to say, yes, okay, you can still set goals. What do I really feel is authentic? Not what my parents want, not what so-and-so, this is what's true. And move in that direction. So I'm not saying don't take action. I'm not saying don't set goals for your truth and set a goal and go in that direction, give 100%, but don't get attached to the outcome because sometimes what you think you want is not simply what is fully aligned or what is for your highest good. So you go in that direction without attachment and remain open. And that's, that's the key. When you're open, then there's the space, then you hold the space for life to show up. You hold the space for magic to show up. Look at someone like Mandela. I don't think Mandela could have imagined that I'm gonna go down this path and, and I'm gonna spend 26 years, 27 years in prison and that's gonna be part of my journey to being one of the greatest, most influential figures on the planet. You can't plan that kind of magical impact. You can't plan, that, that, that's not planable. You know, so I think some of the best things that happen, some of the best things that we manifest in our lives are things that we didn't even really plan. They just, un, they happen in the process of following the path of our life. So the other concept I want to really uncover and unpack deeper is suffering, right? So let's talk about what suffering is and how we avoid suffering in this life. Look, I think in life, we all are going to have an experience of pain. We all have had an experience of suffering. But I would just say, simply put, that there is a difference between suffering and pain. Pain is just when someone dies, it's painful. When my mother died, it was painful. When my mother died, there was grief. When my mother died, there were tears. Pain is just a natural part of being human. It's unavoidable. I feel pain, you feel pain. Maybe the Dalai Lama feels pain if he falls down. Pain is just the part of the human process. Suffering is really what happens when you're either in resistance to what's happening or you have a narrative that the experience that I'm experiencing is not the experience that I should be experiencing. So in a certain sense, in any moment of, of suffering, when you're suffering intently, you're feeling pain with an additional emotionality, with an additional judgment that the experience I'm having is not the experience I should be having. I should be having some other experience than the experience I'm having that triggers suffering. And so I think what we have to be aware of is the narrative and the story and the meanings that we're making up about the experience that we're going through because that's what creates suffering rather than just experiencing what we experience and experiencing the pain about the experience that we're going through. So you have two formulas in your book that I think summarize this well. Surrender plus trust equals magic and control plus resistance equals suffering. So I think you summarized that really well. Let's talk about the difference between the ego and the soul. Can you compare and contrast that Yeah, look, look, ego is not some huge thing. Ego, we all have an ego as human beings. I think as a human being, we all need an ego just to function. Ego is just a vehicle with which we function through. And so ego is simply, it, it, it's not a thing. 
and I don't think it's really an issue. Ego is more, uh, is the process of memories, feelings, emotions, traumas, conditioning based on the past that we tend to hold onto and identify as ourselves. And the more we identify with the thoughts, the beliefs, the stories, the emotions as me, the more, let's say, attached we are to our ego. And, and so what we have to realize is all those things, feelings, emotions, thoughts, none of those are really who or what we are. That's not what we are. But because we get attached to it and we live that way and we go through life attached to that identity, we think that's who we are. And so the job of the ego is to reinforce its existence. The job of the ego is to be in control. And so I would just say, realize that you are not the thoughts, you are not those emotions, you are not the past, you are not those stories. What you are is an infinite being. What you are is soul. And soul is consciousness, soul is infinite. Soul is beyond birth, soul is beyond death. And we are all soul. I'm soul, you are soul. And I think when we really realize what we are as soul, we tap into another level of power, another level of possibility, another, another level of grace. And I think that's the magic when you realize our true identity, you know, as soul. And then how do you know if you're making decisions based on your ego or your soul? Are there like telltale signs? Usually there is a resonance and a feeling. There's a resonance and a feeling that many times when something is aligned, you will often feel a different feeling in your body. Like, like it's coming from a different place. You will often feel a different sensation in your body because when you're deciding from your ego, you will often be in your mind trying to understand, trying to spin, trying to analyze, trying to figure things out, round and round and round and round and round. And you won't feel any sense of peace. But when you're coming from your, your soul, it doesn't mean the decision won't be painful or challenging, but there will often be a deeper sense of knowing, a deeper, a different texture or quality of feeling of this feels right. There'll be a sense many times of this is the direction or the energy when life is moving. And if you allow yourself to just kind of slow down and be still and actually feel where is, where is life moving? Where is life guiding me? You will often feel there's a certain subtle flow or movement to life that's like, feels like the flow is going over here. Just feel, maybe you, you might want to go left, but it just feels that there's a kind of flow. And so I think what we have to learn to do is to not sort of impose our projection on what we think should be happening, but learn to step back and feel the flow of life and align our decisions with that deeper flow. It won't always make sense to your mind in the moment when you're making that decision. And many times those decisions from soul won't come from a logical understanding. They'll come from a deeper part of you. Like, it doesn't make sense, but this feels right. Go with that. 
one of the ways we stop ourselves from tapping into that deeper intuition and decision-making is we're constantly second-guessing and questioning. Instead, trust that deeper flow. Trust that deeper sensation. Allow life to lead you. And I think that's part of surrender, is the willingness to allow life to show you. Allow life to lead you. So it's the willingness to give up the need to know and understand what everything means. The willingness to know and understand what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? What does it mean? Will keep you in ego and limitation, trying to figure life out. And I think life is beyond, many times, beyond our understanding, beyond our figuring out, you know, is beyond the math equation. And so if you're willing to say, okay, I'm willing to embrace the unknown, the degree of freedom I found, the degree of freedom you experience in life is in direct proportion with your willingness to embrace the unknown. And when you can let go of the need to know, the need to know where you're going, the need to know what this need to know what's going to happen here, there's a freedom that opens up where life starts to show you. Life starts to show you because you're not pushing life or a relationship or something to be something that you want it to be. You're allowing the organic truth of a situation to show you what's real, to show you what's aligned. That's when you're living in, in flow. Flow is not that everything always goes in your, goes your direction or goes how you think it should be. And so I think the willingness to say, okay, I don't know and I don't need to know. And, and trust that. Trust that there is something inside of you that even when you don't know, there's, there's an intelligence inside of you that knows and that we're, we're all being guided by. And sometimes some of, the, some of the decisions you end up making in a particular moment that don't make sense, if you make the decision because it's true, because you're like, you know what, I don't want to do this, but this feels right, will often only make sense down the road a year, two, three years from now when the entire picture falls into place. And then you say, now I understand. And that's, I think, part of the beauty of life. Because many times... Even when we think we know where we're going, like how many times, folks listening, how many times perhaps have things not gone according to plan, but they've worked out better than you could imagine? Better, like, like it didn't go according to plan. You thought the whole world was coming to an end, but it went better, it went better than you could imagine. And if we look back, and I think what's interesting now. As a humanity, I think we're in a very pivotal moment as a humanity. I think we are being, shall we say, initiated into, as a humanity, living surrender. I think we're all in a global seminar of surrender, right? now. We're in a surrender training because 2020 hit. We all had these amazing plans. 2020, yeah, we're going to, and boom. Like, maybe we weren't in as much control as we thought, and I think, that's part of the evolutionary process of perhaps what life has been teaching us this last couple of years. You know, Maybe you're not as in control and there's a deeper intelligence. And, and what happens when you surrender to the deeper intelligence of life and allow life to show you, allow life to guide you? And I think that's, we're moving into a new way of living that's much more in harmony and in flow with life. Like, you know, you look at Bruce Lee. Everyone wants to be like Bruce Lee. He's a cool dude, but this is a guy that lived surrender. But most people want to be like Bruce Lee, but they don't want to surrender. And just as an example, Bruce Lee was the guy that said, there's an interview where he talks about, if you want to really uh, be powerful, you have to flow. Be like water. You put water into a teacup, it becomes a teacup. You put water into a pot, it becomes the pot. Be like water. 
And so to me, that is what flow is, being like water, being like water. But what I will say, just to clarify, is you can make, it doesn't mean don't make a plan, right? It doesn't mean don't set goals. It doesn't mean don't strategize. But what I'm first saying is first connect with who you are, connect with your truth, connect with what's real, connect with your soul, take that time to listen, to align with what's true, not just what you think you should be doing based on your ego and your mind and your parents and your conditioning. Connect with what's true so that you're absolutely not compromising yourself. When you connect with what's true, what is life seeking to express through me, then you can make a plan and a strategy that is aligned with what your true authentic soul and guidance is saying, then the plan supports the the fulfillment of your truth. Then you're in flow. Then you're working in harmony with nature rather than in ego. Totally makes sense. So as we wrap up this interview, I asked some of the same questions at the end of the interview to all my guests. And we do some fun things at the end of the year with this. So what is one actionable thing our listeners can do today to become more profitable tomorrow? Um, I would just say really focus on this question. How can I be of service? How can I be of service? And reach out to people and ask, how can I serve you? What specific ways can I serve you? If you have clients, how can I serve you? Friends and family, community, how can I serve? And don't wait for someone to give you that opportunity. Just begin finding places that you can be of service and start. I would just say start. I love that advice. And what is your secret to profiting in life? Uncompromisingly following my inner guidance. By doing that, I've made a lot of money. By doing that, I have been guided to buy real estate and land in strange places and, you know, profited hugely when people thought I was crazy. And I mean, I could give you stories and stories, but the willingness to say, I will uncompromisingly follow my soul's guidance and be true to that. When I, whenever I've done that, that's when magic happens. And where can our listeners go to learn about you and everything that you do? Uh, my website, kublaxon.com. You can find out everything there. Uh, my book is there. I'm doing a special event uh, called Reinvent. You can find out about there, uh, about that on the website as well. And Amazon is where the Magic of Swim is available. And Instagram, Facebook, say hi. Awesome. So I'm going to stick all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much. This was such a great interview. I enjoyed it so much. Thank you so much for everything. What an incredible conversation. I mean, Coot was on a roll. I barely got a word in. He was dropping so many gems. And I just let him talk because he's so inspirational. And I don't know about you, but just hearing him talk about living authentically and finding purpose made me truly feel like we can all find our true paths and live fulfilling lives. But it takes a lot of courage to make a change or pursue an authentic life. It's not always that easy. So here are a couple major takeaways from my conversation. First, if you're searching for your purpose in life, there are three main questions to get you started. Number one, what do you truly love? Number two, what are your skills? Number three, what problem or challenge are you uniquely positioned to solve? When I was starting YAP, I asked myself these questions over and over unknowingly, and 
I loved learning. I loved talking to new people. I had experience and success in radio, in social media, in writing. And I saw a need, a real need to help young people succeed and thrive in their careers. I had started making money and I wanted to teach other people how they could make money too. And I imagined what my life would look like if I could combine my skills with my passion. And then I started a Young and Profiting podcast, which has turned into a social media company, a podcast production company, and now a podcast network that I'm super proud of. And yes, it hasn't always been that easy. I definitely sacrificed along the way. It's been a bumpy ride, but it's been an incredible experience overall. And I have no regrets because I feel like I'm leading my most authentic life. And it's something that I wish for all of my Yap listeners because I feel so much more fulfillment every day now that my skills and my passion and my career are all in alignment with each other. So check in with yourself and see if there's a topic or an activity that lights you up the same way that podcasting lights me up. And don't be afraid to try something new, to try different things, to experiment and take the time to see where life can take you. Another thing that we talked about in this conversation was surrender and why surrendering is one of the most powerful things we can do. Coot says, if we want magic, we must surrender. But we've typically been taught that surrender means to lose the battle. We associate surrendering with weakness or giving in, not success and power. But Coot reframes surrender as strength. He says, when we let go, we make space for new opportunities. And he says that surrender is the invitation to take limits off life itself. So magic can happen. Because there's lots of things in life that you simply can't plan. And when you meet these situations with an open mind and surrender to the possibility, there's no telling what doors will open. Surrender is not just passive. Surrender is when you stop trying to force life to be a certain way. It's when you stop negotiating with life and negotiating with your destiny. Surrender is the willingness to not know and to give up the need to know and to follow the energy and the flow. A great analogy that Coot says is that rather than going to the ocean and trying to make waves happen, you just feel for the waves instead. And remember, suffering stems from your desire to control how things are going. Again, instead of trying to make waves happen and control it, you're feeling for the waves. Suffering is something that you have total control over because all it is, is your desire to control how your life is going. So remember Coot said his mother had secret formulas for her freedom. And I think these are really powerful to always remember. Surrender plus trust equals magic. Control plus resistance equals suffering. That's something that I think you guys can take with you for the rest of your life. And to start the journey of surrender, we must become aware of the stories we're telling ourselves about who we are, who we should be, what our lives should look like. Don't get attached to the labels about yourself. Be willing to surrender the labels that have limited you, even if they were once positive. You are not your labels. I mean, the best example that I have of this is when I worked in corporate my family, my boyfriend slash pretty much husband at the time couldn't fathom that I could ever dream of quitting my executive job at Disney and how dare I and I was selfish and that was who I was and I had spent all these years building this career and, and that's you, Holly. You're a corporate girl. 
how dare you take that label off yourself and become an entrepreneur? But I didn't listen. I, I took that label off of myself, even though to a lot of people, that's a great label. I took that off of myself and I put a new label on myself that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, a self-made woman, a podcast superstar, a CEO, you name it. All these other things, a speaker, an author, like all these other things that I wanted to be. And you too, you too can be the best and the biggest version of yourself, the version that you want to be and not what other people want you to be. And as we all know, finding your purpose takes hard work. It's going to take time. It's going to take experimentation, but don't give up when it gets tough. Instead, surrender, follow your instincts, let go of your attachments, your need to please others and trust your yes. We're constantly leveling up and our priorities and purpose are going to grow with us as time goes on. So I really hope that you revisit these lessons from this episode for the rest of your life. And the world is a better place when we're all at our best. So keep pursuing your purpose and becoming who you're meant to be. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. And thanks to my amazing YAP team. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and take a few moments to drop us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. These reviews mean a lot to us. So do take the time to drop one. And I'll catch you next time. This is Hala signing off.